0: I appreciate the fact that people were like, Oh man, where was today's episode? That that that's actually it's Yeah, it's, it's I got people texted. actually yeah. Did you really?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> no one asked me shit. It's fucking <laughs> crazy. I'm so the least important member of this whole operation by such a large margin. It's well, wild. At least you know. At
0: least you know. Damn. <laughs> I wish I could break free. To back to where I'm supposed I wish I break free, back to where I'm supposed to be. I wish I break free, back to where I'm supposed to be. Why are you so worried about being funny? Uh, because I have, we have to counterbalance the handsome. You can't well, there's be, no
1: counterbalancing the
0: handsome, just you just let you, it be you, what it is. You, you can't just it be can handsome. It can be overwhelming
1: for people. That's okay this is why it's an audio podcast if they could see us they'd just be struck they'd just be just dead struck dumbstruck (laughs) whatever (laughs) welcome to the signal to noise podcast on pro sound web happy to be back yes happy to be with yes with these handsome folks here uh we got we got chris leonard What's uh we got kyle turnside and we got sam boone in the house uh we want to of course as usual start off with saying big thank you to audix here for their support on the show and We love our, our a 150 headphones. I was just telling the guys before we started here that, uh, they are hands down the most comfortable headphones I've ever had in my life. And I regret not bringing them on the road with me. Um, so there you have it. Also, thank you to Alan and Heath, uh, for their support as well. And, uh, we think they're pretty cool people. And Jeff also not afraid to kind of go there and lift the, the rug uncover the dark secrets of the universe and the human psyche. And, uh, you ever want to get crazy you call that man up you know go down the black hole of of your innermost fears it's good shit i mean this yeah. podcast
0: this podcast might be his simulation that's true how is that for the most
1: misleading and bizarre sponsorship message of all time thanks everyone for being here
0: chris leonard what's going on with you man live events are back um you know uh and it's in in a good way. It's a craziness, right? Being an ops person, like um, I'm like stressed beyond belief every day. In a good way, I, I was. <laughs> I, I, um, I was looking at some stats or whatever today uh, because we're actually. So you know, we for those who don't know, we're a corporate production company. We had to build you know virtual studios to to kind of do the 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 word I hate pivot. Um, and in, in 2020, so we are tearing down. We are tearing down our studios. Uh, on March 31st. Mm-hmm. Almost 2 years to the exact date we did our first virtual show. We did our first virtual show in 2020 at uh, March 23rd. Um mm-hmm. and um so it's just it's just interesting to see that um uh yeah, <laughs> and, and and pivot and pivot back to to live. I mean, you know, things are yeah. <laughs> wait i have a question and but i
1: i don't want to get too deep into it before we obviously want to get to our guests and and all yeah. that stuff but question for you chris yeah now that because you keep saying like you're doing ops now you're kind of in a supervisory role you're like yep. department head do you miss the boots on the ground uh
0: yeah do of you course. still
1: have an opportunity to do it are you touching um, oh. consoles
0: uh not really i oh, i take it back actually i was in the studio the other day filling in just because we're so tapped uh you doing the voiceovers um no i left that you know <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm passing the buck on that no um uh, and, and i've been doing some site visits uh just checking on shows um and uh i'll i'll find a way to 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 get on some some shows and have some fun who's our who's our guest who's our guest this week uh yeah so it's funny um eric rogers had messaged us and he was like yo you know uh we got a cool human you should have on the podcast." Um, I was like, okay, okay, cool, and and then I was like, hey, send me some of your stuff. What have you done? And I was like, oh, Robert ran up in the family band. Uh, I did some stuff. We didn't start putting two and two together. So, like, I don't know, sixteen plus years ago in some tiny elementary school auditorium in the South Hood of D.C. I did a show with Sean Quackenbush uh, with Robert Randolph and a family band with way too much gear for too little of a venue. Um, uh, but it was interesting and fun. Um and apparently Kyle's done some stuff in the past. Anyway, uh, he, uh other things he's done. Uh this a bunch of neighbor. What'd you say? Uh oh, damn it, Kyle. <laughs> Ru- ruining the vibe here with the connection.
2: <laughs> we were doing so good,
0: Kyle. I know. Oh man, he's frozen. Welcome, nice. Sean Quackenbush, to the show. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: Thanks on. for having me, guys. Uh, for, first time, first time, long time, you know. Yes. Funny thing about that show, it was a middle school in a oh, middle C. school.
0: Okay, yeah. It school. was
3: the Gospel Network, and the best thing about that was, is I was the PM still too. And we had to, like, load up the front stairs. Oh, there was, was a no ramp power. up the steps.
0: Yeah, there was there was oh, no loading yeah. dock. The power, I have a picture. I When I found was out. Was
3: that the one where I, I went into the power panel to tie in?
0: Yeah, we, Well, there was a power panel, like, in the lobby of the school. Yeah. We yeah. tied into it. And then, you know how, like, schools have, like, the bulletin boards with the construction paper that goes across? Well, yeah. we're, we yeah. grabbed some of that. And we covered the front panel of the electrical panel with that to keep the, the kids away. But yes, because to keep the kids away from <laughs> touching it. Because you couldn't put the panel back on. I have a picture of it. <laughs> <laughs> like i distinctly remember that panel yeah
3: well uh, initially they said oh we got power on stage and i was like okay i've you know i worked for a production company for a long time so we learned how to steal power from anywhere yeah and i walked backstage and the theater literally had in fuses yep yep and i'm going wow. uh this ain't gonna work but my favorite part of that gig was the principal we had production meetings for months and months and months they said hey there's no opening act you guys, you guys know what Go-Go is? The yeah. DC Go-Go music? Yeah, oh yeah, like, I love, it's, love it. I used to drive down from upstate New York to go see Go-Go's and stuff like that. You know, Trouble Funk and stuff like that. The principal calls us up and says, hey, we got a student Go-Go band and we'd love to have them open for you. And I was like, absolutely. This is the best idea ever. I went to the band. I was like, listen, this is going to be great. And Go-Go's all about call and response. It's like, y'all ready to go home? No, you want more? Hell yeah, right? And these kids, they had to be between 11 and 13 they come out and they play for like 15 minutes and we're back in the hallway when they come off right and the crowd wasn't having it all they weren't having robert randolph at all kids come off and the kids in the hallway we were like high-fiving i'm like you guys were great this was awesome and the kid looks at us and just shakes his head he goes hey man go-go just ain't what it used to be <laughs> <laughs> I mean he had to be twelve years old. I was just like, man, it it still cracks me up to this day that, that just man, it just ain't what it used to be.
0: Man, I the funny thing is I do not remember an opening act on that show.
3: <laughs> I think maybe you had to mix it. I just went I to whoever know. from MSI maybe, maybe. and was like, yeah, yeah, there's five inputs. Have yeah. fun. I'm gonna hide. <laughs> <laughs> we had to load oh, in man. at like four in the morning, you know.
0: Well, you, you said that uh um speaking of which, uh you said you had an interesting story about how you first started off with Robert Randolph.
3: All right. So I've been on a bunch of podcasts and I know you guys mentor a lot of people and you get, you know, up and comers going, how do you get the gig? How do you get the gig? How do you get the gig? The Robert Randolph and the family van story. I for years, I wouldn't tell it. I finally went to the guy that this happened to. I said, hey, I want to tell this on something one day. And he's like, yeah, go ahead. I don't care. So you're uh, Michael, you're from upstate New York. I am, sir. Yes. Uh, all right. We used to do this festival in Plattsburgh, New York called okay. the Mayor's Cup every yep. year. And it was like a square on the edge of a uh, on the edge of a stream. During the day you did dance recitals and pie eating contests and all that. And at night they'd hire, you know, a somewhat decent sized band to come out and play. And since it's Plattsburgh it was always kind of hippie-ish jam bands. And we would just we would drive up and it was fun. We'd spend a week up there and it was like we weren't even a big production company. We were a good size, but we were bigger than what they had in town, so we would put it together with them. Well, every day someone would come in, you know, you get a rider. They may have an engineer. They may not. By this point, I was the front of house guy. I'd bring my buddy Pat would do monitors and we'd bring a patch guy with us and we'd have a good time. We would fish off the back of the stage and everything. Um,
1: <laughs> Which, by the way, anyway, just for people who don't know, Plattsburgh, when you, talk, when you say upstate, it's really upstate. Oh, it's, it's almost not, Canada. It's not fake upstate. Yeah. It's actually no. upstate. Yeah. Yeah,
3: you know, it was it was four hours north or three from where I grew up. So this one band, I noticed like all day, like tapers are setting up like early and I'm like, what's the deal? And the guy's like, oh, wait, do you see this band? They're amazing. So we got a rider and they were going to show up with their own backline on their bus and they had a crew and all that. Well, during the day, like their load in time came and went. And then their, their rescheduled load-in time came and went. And then all of a sudden, a backline guy shows up from Albany and with a with a truckload of backline. He goes, ah, they're running behind. You know, and the show's supposed to go off at, like, 9 o'clock. And they play, like, 9 to 10.30 or whatever. Stage is supposed to be done by 11. Nobody, nobody. So we set up the backline. We mic it all up. We line check it. We kind of rough it in. And, like, nobody's got any answers. So finally, at, like, 9.45, a bus pulls up. And these guys come to the stage and they're like, yeah, they're going to go right now. Like no check, no nothing. I mean, the audience is already there. And I said, where's your front of house guy? And he's like, oh, he didn't make it. You're doing front of house. So I do front of house. And at that time, I was mixing a lot of like metal and hardcore and, you know, whatever. You know, I would do the, the ballet and the orchestra at SPAC or, you know, but this is the music I loved. It was funk, R&B, kind of gospely. And man, I was, I threw the faders up, man. And I mean, I went for it. And it was loud, but it was we, I was having a great time. I mean, it's like one of those ones where you're almost like dancing while you're doing it. And at the end of the show, we're packing up. It went late, but nobody cared because it's Plattsburgh. And uh, I get a <laughs> radio call. Hey, can you come back to the artist tent? The Manager wants to talk to you. I was like, oh, great. I'm going to yell that because it was too <laughs> loud, the whole deal. So I go back to the tent and... I walk in and it's Robert and his manager. And Robert was real timid and shy, just kind of sitting there. And the manager goes, Hey, so what you do out there tonight? I said, Hey man, sorry if it was kind of loud, but I was kind of digging And They're like, no nah, man, that was amazing. Do you tour? And I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to tour. You know, <laughs> by that point I'd done a lot more like regional and I did a lot of Broadway stuff. And you know, I've, you know, we pick up and do things. I've, I did some bands and, uh, you know, vans and stuff like that. But most of it was like, you know, a lot of bus and truck theater shows and stuff. So I was like, yeah, here's my info. And, uh, I went back and they're like, we'll call you soon. So I go back to my regular gig at the time, which was the house engineer at the performing arts center in Saratoga. And, you know, all the engineers, same engineers come through every year and you get to be friendly. So I got to be really good friends with the the Matthews band crew. So it was bagby and Tommy Lyons at the time and stuff. Tommy, like that. I love Tommy. And, uh, I said, "Hey guys, I might have a gig on the road." They're like, "With who?" And I said, "Robert Randolph and the Family Band." And they go, "They started laughing, like, and never uncontrollably, like, falling over laughing." I was like, "What's up?" And meanwhile, I'm kind of negotiating with this band about going on the road. Yeah, our other guy's not working out. It's kind of been kind of a thing. You know, maybe you want to do monitors. Maybe we come out do front of house. It was kind of cryptic. So I finally see these guys a couple weeks later with the DMV, and they're like, "Oh, you want to know why you're getting the gig?" I said, "Why?" He goes, "Well." They were opening for us in Wisconsin at that big ski mountain place where, you know, the place where Stevie Ray got killed. And they said. Well, the first night, the band stole a golf cart and destroyed it, and they got in trouble for that. Right. Well, the second night, their front of house guy at the time, it was the only front of house guy they had had stole a golf cart, picked up a girl. guess had a few too many to drink, was coming down the hill, flipped the golf cart cracked his head open, nearly killed the girl riding with him, got arrested and charged with DWI in a golf cart, right? (laughs) Jeez. Hauled off to jail, right? So the next day, the band goes to the courthouse because he's getting arraigned, but they had him via satellite from the the hospital at the jail cell, and they said, well, bail's at some ungodly amount of money, and the band's like, we're out of here, and left him, and their next gig was in Plattsburgh, New York. So that's why they were late getting to my gig because they were at the courthouse cuz <laughs> their sound guys in jail, the the hospital jail. So they had him back for a couple of weeks to kind of pay his debt and then I got the phone call and it was like, "Hey, can you can you come today?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And then that lasted uh 15 years. I was only supposed to do like <laughs> it was only supposed to do like 6 weeks and
0: yeah, 15 years. That's I was awesome. there. That's awesome. a great yeah. band. It's a great band though. I mean, it's a phenomenal vibe and music and Oh.
3: Two thousand two two thousand three two thousand four it was you know like to my the quote the Blues brothers that was a band you know bad enough to turn goat piss into gasoline, you know it was it was amazing, and I mean through that it was like you know right right off the bat, you know I get hired by him, and it's like, hey, you're gonna do a year opening for Clapton around the world, so it's like right away, you know next thing I know I'm on a plane to Barcelona, and it's like we literally spent a year opening for Clapton and then we opened for Santana and then. Black Crows and we were we were like and then Dave Matthews. I think I think we've opened for Dave Matthews more than anybody when I was with those guys. And you know, it was good till it lasted until uh Miss Carlisle came along and that's the best gig I've ever had, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's my funny one. The DWI and a golf cart got me a gig that
1: lasted me fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, kids, just the right place at the right time.
3: That that's the exact right place at the right time you know they literally just showed up and it's like hey if you gotta fill in for somebody just do your best you know
1: I think that's you know what it, I know that this actually can be frustrating for some people who put time into like developing a skill set and being professionally prepared and like this, well it's all random like this idea of right place right time I think has actually been discouraging to people um, but I don't think it's just like a cosmic roll of the dice as much as you never know what opportunities are going to pop up if you are putting yourself in the situations where these conversations are happening and if you are immersing yourself in this world and if you're making yourself available and present you're you're increasing your own odds of being able to take advantage of an opportunity like that so your own interaction and engagement and ability right like it directly amplifies those things so i don't i i the the right place, right time thing is a real thing, but that doesn't mean like it doesn't matter if you're prepared or not, you know. Mm-hmm. I, and I know that's yeah. a little bit of a of a detour from from where we were tonally, but like it was a conversation
0: I just had with somebody recently, so I figured it's worth mentioning. Well, and oh, I, mean, I mean, like you, when you when you got asked, you know, like, do you tour? You know, like yes, you know, like my story of like like at my first on tour, and like, are you monitor's It was like, you know, that there's that split second where like you got to answer it, you know, yes, and 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 and, and grab it. All the way. if he was, ah, I don't really tour. You know what I mean? Like you could. I'd love to. Is a wonderful dodge. <laughs> yeah. so that's a, that's a <laughs> yeah, great that was... dodge.
3: Well, it's it's also it's like I mean at that point I I worked for a great regional company and by that point I was owner. I was vice president. I was like I was 24 maybe at that point, 23. And it was like uh you know, you but everybody and their brother had come through and you watch these bands get huge who you used to mix all the time. Like we would do a uh, we would actually where I met Kyle at a club. We did this club. It was in between the Hudson River and the dump called Saratoga Winners. And we, I watched every band in the kind of hardcore, new metal, and then emo. Like you know, we would do emo nights. You know, mm-hmm. once or twice a week. And I swear to God, every other week it was either My Chemical Romance was the opening act, or Coheed and Cambria was. Ah, uh, my watched favorite. These- you just watch these bands be. I remember those guys when they were Shibuti, but I just wow. remember like watching these bands just get huge, watching Hate Breed and Shadows Fall and all this. And you just, every week, someone would come through, Hey, man, when we make it, you're our guy. And you know, you waited for the call, you waited for the call, and you would pester people. And you know, when you work for a regional company, you might be like, Hey, you're going to go out and do monitors for, I mean, Pat Boone or James Brown on these eight dates around the Northeast or you know aretha franklin or you know you're gonna go do these festivals and you you know it's a network of like you know people like Mm -hmm. you just get to know them and you just hope one day that you're on that list of like hey we need somebody you know and there's a few times like i got in with people where i got the phone call and i just I, i didn't i didn't i didn't jump on it like i should have you know because you think like wow i just bought into this company you know and i gotta be here to do this but uh the Randolph gig just seemed special at the time. You were just like there was something about that band and you kind of knew it was just about to take and it was like and I kind of went to my business partners and I'm like, Hey guys, you know, do you think I could possibly do this? And they were a hundred percent behind me. They're like, No, you have to. You literally have to. To the point where it was like, you know, the end of that first six week run was at a sold out show at Roseland in New York and where mm. they all came down, the whole company, and we just had a great kind of night of just like you know hugs and tears and all that like wow to the you know and i mean those those guys are still my brothers to this day you know and Spack is still still home you know you know saw my first
1: shows there
3: and started working there as a kid you know
1: what an interesting little venue though uh you know it's it's a it's a little it's kind of a little nook nestled away in in the middle of nothing up there i'm uh i just but it's Beautiful. It like is. When you pull in beautiful. in the morning,
3: you know, it's like it's summer camp. That's how we always refer to it. It was summer camp, you know, it was Mother's Day till a little bit after Labor Day. It's like you pull into the, one of the most beautiful state parks. And, you know, Saratoga is just a quaint little town. You're at the foothill of the Adirondacks,
1: and it's just like there's springs, natural water springs all over the property. There is property. A, uh, a, a bookstore a, a couple minutes away from, from SPAC called Lyrical Ballad, and it is the coolest place in the world in my opinion it's, it's built in mm-hmm. a bank vault so it goes back un- yeah yeah. Oh, yeah and it's just it's yeah. like harry potter shit and it's just room after room after room with these books so whenever i, I have friends in saratoga like you gotta go see this bookstore and i always go there and i buy something but yeah i was just putting it on my calendar today Spac is is near and dear to me because when all my friends come through and they're touring they're either playing the landmark in syracuse or they're playing yep. Spac. those are the two that are that are within a driving distance of me and so I, I go see all my buddies i'm going to see my friend jason moore do train in a couple months. Oh, Can't nice. Wait. I love that dude, yeah. man. Such yeah. such a fun He's time. A good dude. Yeah.
3: He, actually, when the pandemic first hit, I was on a Zoom call. When everybody started doing Zoom calls, I was on one, and we were all talking about, like, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to steer through this? And, you know, it's like, you, you can only do a live stream once. Well, I was like, you know, we figured that out over at the Brandy Carlisle camp, and we did one every week, and it was amazing, you know? But, yeah, it was funny. It was like, wow, well, the band can only do their set once, and it was like... Nah, we kind of reinvented it and almost did like a variety show, you know, but yeah, he's a great, great guy. But, uh, yeah, Saratoga. I mean you've you've had it been there a few times being in a uh former Dave Matthews cover band. I mean that's a rite of that's a rite of passage where I'm from is Dave Matthews at Saratoga. You know? I,
1: I was we were speaking to Tommy Lyon. I was just out there a couple months ago seeing seeing them when they came through visiting Tommy. Did you yeah. So yeah. Speaking yeah. of how have we not had Tommy on the show yet? I gotta tell you.
3: Have you not have Tommy Dude. on?
1: I, I wanna be on that one when you do that, you know. <laughs> I wanna just you
3: I am waiting for the upstate New York round We should you know, just, because there's yeah. you know, there's 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 Quack and Quake, and then there's Tommy, and there's there's a bunch of us. You and know, then we're going to
1: talk about snow removal and uh, uh, snow tires. That's my f- yeah,
3: that's my family business. That was my my dad, snow removal. Like, yeah, that's how I bought my first PAs. That's a thing,
1: man. That's a real thing. I people, my brothers, learn. my brothers still do it. You know,
3: I didn't know it was a thing. Oh, it's a thing. I I, mean, I, d-
2: I when I moved up here, it was like, oh, like snow removal included in utilities, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what is where this? you at? <laughs> uh, I'm outside of Philly.
3: Okay, yeah. Oh yeah. Up, upstate New York, especially where Michael is lake effect. Oh my God. Yeah. At least Albany. We didn't get the lake. Yeah. Effect, last time I checked, yeah,
1: yeah. Syracuse gets between 10 and 12 feet of snow annually. And we have, yeah. we, you can get a foot and a half in, in hours. So oh. if you're not ready for it, you can really get in a nasty spot. Um, and still people, have to go to school the <laughs> yeah, next day. They go, they're not, <laughs> school they're there not either. canceled. Yeah, you're going. Two hours um, delay. Yeah. You know. There are actually companies, and people don't realize this is a thing, but they will come and shovel off the roof of your house because if you get mm-hmm. too much snow on the roof of your house, your house will collapse, right? So this what? is a real, it's a real thing that you have to what? pay for if you live
3: here. Yes. What? Yes. No.
2: Oh, my gosh, no. I mean, oh, Sam, no. it
3: was so big in my family. My father had loaders and dump trucks. I mean, I come, I'm, I'm the oddball. My whole family is... Irish Union construction workers, all of them, even to this day, my, my brothers and stuff. But that was our side business in the winter was snow removal. So I'm the oldest of four. So my dad still had the business by the time I could drive. And like back what was Bank of America used to be called Fleet Bank. I used to have to go out and do mm. the sidewalks. And, you know, I was in high school and you'd have to be up at, you know you'd head out at midnight and you had to have them done by 6am and then go to school, you know, be like, I'm, I'm staying home. My dad's like, no, you're not, <laughs> you know, hit, hit, hit school, you know? So yeah, that was the family business. And then my brothers, uh, started doing it again. Cause my one brother's an operating engineer, you know, all the construction machinery. So he does it now too. And he's got, Every time I'm there now, my kid, my son's seven. He's starting to get into that, and so we go back, take him, and show him all the machines. You know, kids love that stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. well. Spe- speaking of kids, you you had mentioned that you had cool parents that took you to a lot of shows as a kid. So I imagine that had an impact on you. So you know, can you talk about that?
3: Yeah. So like Spac, that's why it literally is. It's so important to me. Was you know my first shows. I mean, I was an infant. My parents. I loved the Beach Boys and stuff like that. But every summer, they would take you to at least one show. But then also, like, throughout the year, if, you know, if they wanted to go see something, they would take us. You know, um, more so me. My my siblings like music, but not like I did. Like, it bit me early on. Um, I mean, the funniest one is my mom went to see the Bee Gees nine months pregnant at wow. Mass Square Garden with my brother. Right. And my dad was and my parents have great stories about go into Saratoga and jump in the fence when they were kids to go. And they, they named the bands like the association and stuff like that. And so they took me to see like the beach boys, but I saw all the cool bands kind of in the eighties, like, you know, Huey loose in the news on the sports tour, you know, Rick Springfield when Jesse's girl was huge, but the one that kind of did me in and it, it, I was eight years old and we went to Buffalo bills stadium. What is it? Joe Robbie stadium or whatever they called it back then. I forgot. But where the Bills played, um, we went to see the Jackson's victory tour. And I sat fourth row center and it was it was it was life altering, you know, and you just was like, I don't know what they're doing, but I want to do that. And Mm. I remember I talked to somebody, a security guard or something, and the stage was massive. It was a third of the football field and it had lifts. And, you know, I mean, it was as high tech a production as you could get in eighty four. And uh, they said, yeah, it took two weeks to set up, but it'll be gone by this time tomorrow. And you're like, (laughs) so that whole idea of like massive structures that just move is still fascinating to me. And I saw that. And from that point on, like everything I did, like school art projects, I was drawing stages and I was, you know, uh, I was big in a Lego still am with my son. And like I was in Lego competitions and I would build stages and all kinds of stuff and I mean, I had a notebook in seventh grade that I was like drawing park hands and stuff on and speakers, you know, every (laughs) art project. I'm like that much of a nerd um, about it and still am to this day. But uh, that's kind of my whole thing. And it's kind of weird because my my son is he's almost seven and he'll go like, Dad, you can't make me like concerts. We take him to everything. (laughs) and He's like uh nope no nope. you know he he can make it he can make it almost through a whole brandy show they get to about the encore and he he gets my wife he's like we gotta go you know <laughs> we
1: were yeah <laughs> i was it was actually a funny i think i think it was in Spac i was out there and i brought a buddy of mine and we were we were seeing uh i'm trying to remember what show we were seeing i think i maybe have been uh my buddy tyler walters out with the uh, the willie nelson outlaw festival which is a yeah really absolutely very a long yeah long day and uh um, oh, yeah we were leaving, and my buddy was friends with some of the local uh, crew people out there. And so they were like, Oh, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm a pr- they go, uh, proud member, local yeah, 592. Right, there you go. 20 so they, go they go, uh, Hey, we're a little short for loadout. Y'all want to stay? We're like, fucking Nope. Like, see ya. <laughs> like, I'm not going to stay here another four hours and put truss on a truck. Hell no. Oh. <laughs> Man, some of those days are fun, though. Like, when you're just hired to
3: be like, Hey, take this there, you go, Okay, great. When you don't have to think and be like, uh, how do I got to run the feeder day? What's the best don't oh, I do get my white gloves dirty, doors? man.
1: I don't I Then don't, What am I going to do?
3: <laughs> my friends bought me a pair of pink gloves. A couple of years ago. <laughs> nice. They're still in one of my work boxes. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm still I'm in the local there. I just got my cards. It's, it's over 20 years at this point. But yeah, you know, that's all my brothers and sisters up there. Shout out to local 592 Saratoga Springs, New York. You know, their family, you know, it's a magical place, you know. It's really, this yeah, really m-
1: an interesting place. Uh, if you if you have the opportunity to go, um, I went out there to visit Willa Snow, actually our friend Willa Snow, a couple months back, and same thing. I was like, hey, you got to go to this bookstore. That's <laughs> like this is my yeah. whole ship. If you're going to Saratoga, we're going to the bookstore. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that
3: was the bug that did it for me. Seeing Michael Jackson, and then everything from that point on. And then once I had enough money to go see what I wanted to go see, like any opportunity I could get, and then like. Once you got your driver's license and I was kind of out of high school, like I had a couple of buddies who we would try to go see live music every single night and it didn't matter. Like I said, we would drive to excuse me, DC to go, go, go shows or go see hard rock shows at CBGB's in New York or drive out to Boston or, you know, I, and I still, you know, geek out on that. Like I love the band tool. So it's like, uh, you know, 20 years ago, like when they would do a tour, I'd go to Boston, Albany, Syracuse, Portland, Maine, New York City, just, you know, just because I knew all the shows were going to be different and they were rad. And that's like, that's one of those bands that still, I feel like a fan at, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm not sitting there like criticizing, like, oh, you know, this could be louder or, you know, this, it's like, no, nah, I just, I could just go get lost in it, you know?
2: That's it's, awesome. It's
1: rare that I have that experience at shows now, but when it does, it's just so, I was just, I mean, speaking of going tomorrow, I'm going to see Leo at the Lawrence show in Albany and it's the same mm-hmm. thing. Like I, I told him straight up last time I saw him. I said, I cannot remember the last time I went to a show and just enjoyed it as a fan. And it's just, it's such a different mindset if you can really get yourself there. And it's so rare these days, but man, it was exhilarating, you know? Sorry, Sam, I know you were going to say something. Oh, go ahead.
2: No, you're good. Um, So I got to ask, like, At what point do you start getting into the tech side of stuff? Like, are you a failed musician like the rest of us? uh,
3: Immediately. I've been a tinkerer since I was a kid. I was the kid who could pull anything apart and put it back together. And, like, electricity especially. Like, my dad is an amazing carpenter, like you wouldn't believe, but he's terrified of electricity. And by the time I was eight, like, I could fix extension cords. And, like, I remember we got the first VCR, and I was the one who knew how to hook it up. You know, it was like my parents would be like, well, it's – we're going to rent movies, but we have one window air conditioner upstairs. So can you move the VCR upstairs? And I would, I knew how to hook it up. And I, I was like, I have a lot of, and like not only did I have super cool parents, I have a lot of a big Irish families, super cool aunts, uncles, and cousins. And anytime they got a new stereo, I take all their own components. And like, I'm wiring these crazy things just together. Like, you know, finding out the hard way is you can't take a speaker output into a, line level jack (laughs) (laughs) you can set in the house (laughs) apart. yeah once (laughs) and then you figure out how to change out components real quick but it's funny my mom and dad just pulled the carpet out of my childhood bedroom a couple years ago and they said there was more soldering iron burns in the floor (laughs) you know my dad gave me a soldering iron when i was like seven or eight for christmas one year because he would get me tools and that was the end of it you know so I learned how to make all my own cables, you know, whether or not they were in polarity or wired rights, a whole nother story.
1: But, you know, <laughs> I, I knew how to connect, so, them. you know. So without without sounding like the jaded old guy kids these days, like that's not that's not my intent with this statement. But <laughs> I, I. Oh,
2: man, you're the grumpy old sound. No, I'm just I,
1: it, we live in an era of this thing broke. So I'm going to throw it out and, and buy a new yeah. one. Uh, yeah. You know, the, 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 smart TV is a good example. Like we just, you get a new TV every two years. Like you mm-hmm. to fix your TV, right? So there is an element of audio engineering that used to be really strongly represented, which is exactly what you're talking. I mean, I think about Chris Mitchell who goes, oh, I didn't like the bandwidth on the filters in this console. So I, I changed out the inductor like that part of the craft of getting under the hood and understanding what the components
0: do. This Chris Mitchell? That's the one right oh, there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I remember he was trying to get to get someone for, to adopt
0: that thing. Yeah, man. For the for the for the hold on for the non-viewers at home, because this is an audio podcast, that's two Paragon two channel strips in Iraq. Paragon one. Oh Paragon one, my bad it. my bad. You're right. You're right. Paragon one. My bad. Oh. There is a difference. Um that Chris was we basically gutted a console and was paring them down to the strips and it's freaking awesome uh that's cool that you have it that's awesome but that's that's exactly
1: what i mean i mean like i mean last time i visited ethan weiner he goes oh yeah here's a here's a parametric eq that i built yeah like that age is is gone man and and and
3: no there's still there i mean the heath kid age is gone the problem is is radio shack went away you know we i mean when radio shack went away i mean listen like i said my my kids almost seven I was obsessed with the Radio Shack catalog. I remember riding my bike to Radio Shack and can I get the new catalog? And studying things, you know, whether it's you know components or switches or all that stuff, you know. It's and I, I mean, I just remember like I went to theater school for two years, and one of our teachers is like, "Oh, you want to be a sound guy?
1: Just make sure you plug in your soldering iron first thing in the morning because it's gonna get used." Mm. You know, nice. Is, is there? You know, I think, I'm trying to think about the way John Huntington would answer this question because I I feel like he'd have a really cool answer to it. And that reminds me, I'm going to call him and ask him, but... That that part of the the knowledge it used to be a necessity that you had to understand how these things were working, right? P- particularly back when you know the tubes, then you go to transistors, then you go to solid state, and now you kind of got lost. Mm-hmm. And now we're in the digital age, and you just I need a graphic EQ, and you you buy one from Sweetwater, and so it's totally possible to go out there and get good sounding mix and have zero concept of what's happening under the hood, and that's not necessarily a problem until something stops working. But you know part of me says, has that knowledge been lost? But really a lot of that has been replaced by other knowledge like networking, mm-hmm. which is now this new thing that you have to know and it's really <sighs> hard to do your job without that. So, I mean, it, you know, that you think about the German tone meister, like literally the dudes in white lab coats. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like th- that was audio engineering <laughs> for a long time. And so yeah. having that evolved, I, it's great to me that there's less barrier to entry now and anyone that wants to be in audio can get into audio. But at the same time, You know, it hasn't been watered down. You know, if you look at the audio textbooks from 1980 versus versus now, there's a big difference in what's in those books. But well, yeah, I mean, that's yeah, Yamaha's guide to sound reinforcement,
3: where you just learned how to make a RCA to an XLR cable. You know, it's like, oh, I got a you know CD player, I want to plug into a pro mixer. But kind of that's why I loved coming up with a regional company, and and also like you know being, I got ran up the ladder real quick as a kid and you know eventually became partners in the firm but it's like you had to maintain your own stuff and i'm, I'm old enough like i predate digital consoles and i kind of started my career at the same time you could buy a large format pa from a manufacturer because up to that point everything was proprietary so yeah. my career kind of Coincides with like the 850 MT mm-hmm. Turbo Sound, you know, TMS boxes and all that, because it was like up to that point, like you went and got a Claire S4 or, you know, a Prism box or, you know, an audio analyst box or, you know, all these Electrotech boxes. It was all proprietary and you, you, there was still a lot of that. And, you know, you got to see it always come through the venue. But also, like, you had, when you worked for a company, you had to be the tech, too. So it was like, hey, we ran out of XLR cable because yeah. we've got three shows out. Somebody hit the broken pile that just would sit. Yeah. And then you'd say, oh, in the winters, you know, when the slow season is when we're going to work on it. No, fire it up. Or if the snake had a problem in the multi pin, you had to know how to fix that. Or like a channel strip went out, how to swap out channel strips. or, And then you just get into the details of it like, you know, you got to know enough that. And especially like when you were touring because there wasn't spares and a lot of the stuff was so like it was so proprietary that it was like there wasn't Midas everywhere. You know, there was a certain number of companies who had, you know, a lot of companies had Yamaha PM4Ks and some people had Midas and some people had Soundcraft and some people had Ranzas and, you know, if you were in town and you had a massive problem with your desk you weren't exactly going to get the same exact one i mean yeah it was a little bit different you know you could spin it up on the new desk but it's not like if your xl3 went out someone rolled another xl3 out you could literally just put them side by side and try to match your knobs and you know you're going to get close to where you need to be to start the show and then fine tune it throughout but yeah a, a lot of that you know i i i always tell like you know when I mentor friends I was like hey if you go prep your rig you know like I've got some friends it's like well can't I just have the vendor prep it all and it's like when I take a rig out I want to know where every wire is Mm -hmm. I want to know where everything is patched so like I want to know what's going to be the first failure point I want to know if there is a failure how can I correct that you know because a lot of times there's no text it's just me and my monitor engineer or me and my monitor engineer and our stage manager patch guy but You know, a lot of times you got to know how to like really, you know, like we've had and we just came back from our festival in Mexico and in the second time we've had a Digico screen go out and, you know, lo and behold, they're the greatest guys in the world. You can call them up on the phone and tell them like, here's what I'm doing and they'll they'll get they'll get you up and running again. But it's nice to have like basic knowledge of like componentry and stuff that you can go in and do it where, you know, I've just seen people like. Well, the console's not fired up. What am I going to do when they're off and catering while (laughs) some poor vendor tech is, you know, like on the
0: phone trying to sort it out? I mean, I think about Hold on, I want to hear real quick. So Sam felt like I felt like she wanted to interject on maybe the counter side of what's been lost or hasn't been lost.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I will say this, right? Like I learned Dante protocol before I ever touched an analog console.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah like absolutely. You that's know, you're a child so, of the digital generation. So, I real quick, I wanted to ask, have you ever been in a radio shack?
2: Yes, I lived within walking <laughs> distance of one until it went away when I was 10. <laughs> um, so yeah. I think I was like 10ish, 10-12ish.
0: I'm um, not throwing shade on your age. I just it was just No, the, go for the, it. The, it's the, cool. The the, 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 the the, the you know, New generation, good. Chris. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
2: So no, I mean I have been in a Radio Shack. My I stole my dad's soldering iron from like an old one from like Radio Shack from oh, I don't know. That thing's probably Was old it a iron. giant
3: gun one?
2: No, it's not That's quite. That's what my
3: dad had, and I'm like, I can't solder with this. What are you <laughs> doing <laughs> copper pipes with this thing?
2: No. <laughs> right. I have seen pictures though of those. Um so I mean Radio Shack was great and like but I think the thing is even with digital stuff, like you still take it apart and put it back together. Like I've taken way too many things apart and tried to put them back together that I should not have. But you know, it's not necessarily that the knowledge I don't think is lost or transferred. I think people are just thinking about it differently because you have the kids where you're right. Like you don't, you you're the one who fixes the router and the Wi-Fi and has to connect everything and the Blu-ray player and all of that stuff. Right. It's the same principles apply, but you think about it. Like for me, it was so much more natural to think about like digital networking, and that's and even like digital consoles are so much easier to me and so much easier to think about and look at than like a Heritage three thousand.
1: Yeah, like but I, <laughs> I, 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 I think my point is more like when we talk about um, volunteers mixing mm-hmm. community theater, mixing house of worship, right? Um, and then the it's always a, at what point do you pay a professional? To me, you're not paying the professional necessarily because you want the mix to sound better. It's for everything around that. It's they know how the system works and they know how to uh, avoid issues before they happen, and they know they understand gain structure and they understand like the 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 strata of knowledge between someone who pushes some faders around on the weekends right, as a volunteer, and someone who really truly understands the engineering and the math of what's going on with the hood. I mean, that's just that that is a massive gulf. So when we talk about paying a professional. Um, you know, I don't get paid to push faders. I'm a I'm a passable mixer at best, and, and I I get paid for everything that's around that. You know what I mean. And when I think about the people that that I recommend for stuff, and it's happening more and more, I'm asked to recommend people. It's never, hey, who do you know who's the best mixer? That's not that's not the calls that I I mean that we're looking for people that that have a grasp of the technical skill set that's required here and are good at thinking on their feet and solving problems and acting independently, which is a big one, which is you're in charge of this thing. So I don't have to be in charge of it now. And you're going to deal with it because I have other things to worry about. Can I delegate to this person and do I need to go check everything they're doing? Right. Like, so it's, it's just, it's, it's the grasp of the, the engineering principles and and, and just the, the theoretical concepts of how all this stuff works, not just, not just like what it's doing in, in the signal chain, but like, how does it actually work? And when it, when there is a problem, how do I figure out where that problem is and fix it? I mean, those are the people that I recommend for gigs or they just have a really good grasp of what's going on because they can, they can be thrown into a situation like all your gigs <laughs> that you're talking about, Sean, like where you just, Oh yeah, I just got thrown into this thing. Like those people that have that skill set where they can just leverage and, Yeah, I've never done RF coordination before, but I understand what I got to do. So let me just jump in and get it done. Like Those are the people that are super valuable and that can command good rates and and take a lot of gigs and and just be well appreciated professionally. You know what I mean?
2: Well, I think it comes back to, like, Sean, you said, and I agree with this completely. Like, I'm really glad I started a regional company because you've had to fix everything because you had the pile that sat up on the end of the bench when the pile got too big. Everyone (laughs) takes a spot on the bench and we all sit down and you crack open whatever's broken and you figure it out. And you'll hear me say this all the time. Like, it's like, I don't, somebody will ask me, like, hey, you know, what's this problem? And I'll, or even in the shop, right, if we're troubleshooting or like in a pop zone and, we're just trying to get things to work and I'll say, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Right. Like that's the thing. Like being able to figure it out. It it all comes down to
3: whatever it takes to get the job. The gig done is, is it should just, it should be like on a plaque with everybody, whatever it takes. Do you got to drive the truck? Fine. I'll drive the truck. You know, I mean the guys I grew up with are, ninjas audio ninjas (laughs) and and like they're they're pirates you know they're they're, like they are and like i mean like the perfect example of me and my buddy still uh still talk about like we forgot a distro and we drove 300 miles to do a gig and there was no distro and one of our guys who was just the guy who could do anything and when i tell you this guy could do anything like it didn't matter what you threw at him he could he could fix it and this this guy is like He's uh, he's like a renaissance man. You know, you gave him a 12 pack and, and and a soldering iron and just let him go. He like disappeared off to Home Depot, came back 45 <laughs> minutes later and built a PD, literally built a three phase PD with all, you know, L2130s and stuff on it. And like, yeah, we were an hour behind, but like we had a show and th- th- we just had a distro that stood in the corner. You know, we didn't have the fancy motion labs thing, but, you know lo and behold, he just tied this thing in and, and no, no issues at all.
1: Well, I think about what H said when a couple of weeks ago, when you're doing the Vegas residency thing, he's like, you just show up, you turn the console on, you'd mix and you go yeah. home. And he's like, I don't, he's like, I, I, you're not troubleshooting anything. You're yeah. not developing anything. You know what I mean? So that's, that's I think what I'm talking about is, um, you know, putting ourselves in situations where we're expanding the, the not just the depth of things, but the, the the breadth of things and just being exposed to different things and the little things that you just file away and go, okay, well, when this happens, it probably means there's a problem. Like, I know what it sounds like when a uh, stage box and a console lose clock sync. And, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, that's now a thing. I hear that and you go, oh, I know what that problem is. And so just you're gaining these little bits of experience that help you become more valuable in the field. And so um, I think that is the stuff that when I think about what makes somebody a valuable addition to a team or a valuable tech, it's it's that stuff. It's not just that you know they're really good at mixing or whatever.
3: Well, and then you graduate to like you know, um, I've been with Brandy Carlisle for seven years full time now, and I'm the guy who like you know, guitar amp went down, oh, I can fix it, or like you know, and it's it's gotten to the point where you know I can I've fixed TVs and everything else. <laughs> it's just you know you figure it out, you know, and once people kind of know that your, 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 your skill set is a little bit more than just, Hey, I'm the mixer. Mm. All of a sudden you become very valuable to a team because it's like, if one of your guitar techs says, Hey, why is this amp doing this? And it's like, ah, it sounds like one side of one of your preamp tubes is, you know, a little bit funky, grab a pencil, start tapping tubes. Oh, it's crackling. Yep. You got a, you got a bad, you got a bad 12 ax in in your amp or you know why is my guitar rig buzzing well you know your pedal boards on one phase of the power your amplifier's on another phase and then your wireless rack system is on a third phase so you have conflicting and that's you know it's like you ground lift it all but honestly if you just run extension cords and put it all on the same block it's going to clean a lot of things up and that's you know a lot of things like that you know you, you, you know, just things from, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years now. So you just learn like, you know, how to make
1: things work in and situations that aren't ideal. What, you know, what's been the most surprising new innovation or shift in the industry that you've seen in that time? Like what's, what's different now than when you started that's, that was, well, a I mean, thing I mean, well, I mean, my
3: thing is I tell everybody, it's like when I started this and I started somewhere in the beginning of the nineties, you know, as a kid, I mean, I was 13, 13. Fourteen years old doing gigs with the company, you know it was you know it's the old adage it's sex drugs and rock and roll and now I tell you know that was the touring mentality and now it's you know laptops accountants and health food you know (laughs) so true I mean it is you know know. for the most accurate you know Um, you know I mean we all know I mean if if you're if you got a day off on tour or the bus pulls over and there's a Whole Foods oh man it's like a holiday you know (laughs) um a lot of the innovations. It's like, you know, we're, we're at a point right now where I'm probably looking to switch consoles. That's what I've been doing before we start up our tour for the spring summer I've been auditioning different things. And I've got a couple of local friends who are like, you know, Hey, I got a, I got a couple of gambles or like, I've got a couple, I've got Midas XL consoles in my garage. And, you know, there's part of me, it's like, man, how great would that be? But if that fails, what's the chances of finding another one of those in Pigs Knuckle, Arkansas? Where, I mean, I'm 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 kind of on the retirement run of my profile right now, and I own one of the earliest profiles, and I, I know that thing inside and out. And like you were saying, like being valuable, it's like anybody who knows me knows if they have a profile question, they can call me at any hour of the day, and they'll say it's doing this, and I'll go, hey, do this, pull pull one of your RAM chips. It sounds like you got a bad RAM a RAM RAM chip or you have a hard drive issue or something, you know, I, I I know that thing inside and out. And I mean, like when the pandemic came back, all I did was repair profiles for all the vendors around the Pacific Northwest. Um, but I don't know, inno- innovation, you know, I, you know, I'm like I said, you know, it's like, I, there's part of me that wants to go back to high school and have the awesome analog set up with all the best outboard gear and all that. But I'm always terrified. Like, like you said, if it
1: goes wrong, it's going to be hard to replace that. But but what's your like, prior from my cold dead hands gear. Or, I mean, there's got to be something up oh, there that you're like. You want to <laughs> uh, uh, actually I got one right in front of me. I'm using a rack to prop my computer up on.
3: I. Uh, God bless Matt Eli. He's my brother. And, you know, we, we were in that company together, taught me about Lexicon PCM stuff and PCM 42 delays. I own like five of them now and everywhere I go, I take one with me and it's just a digital delay. There's no tap function on it, but just something about it. Like I always have to have one and whether I'm doing, you know, reggae dub stuff with modest Yahoo or when I was doing the Robert Randolph stuff or even with Brandy Carlisle, like I use it every single day. Like, you know, we got that big number in the joke where she goes off. I mean, mm-hmm it's indispensable for me and there's a lot of classic mics i still have a bunch of gold uh, md409 uh, 409s and 421s i really love you know grab them wherever i go you yeah. know that's a uh, you know, it's it's that thing. It's like if the house is on fire, what are you grabbing? Like I'd grab the 42s. <laughs> and, you know, my dog and my family and, you know, a couple bits and bobs, but yeah, otherwise.
0: For the record, you said the delays before you said your dog and family. But um uh, would, you know, it go <laughs> it go wife and son, dog 42s. So. Del- delays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. Uh speaking that you mentioned Yahoo, that's what I wanted to ask about um, Sure. That had to have been a ton of fun and and you already mentioned one of the big things delay. so um, uh, just talk about your experience with working with him and um, and and some of the techniques you need to use in that in that environment.
3: It was a lot of fun. We had the dub trio out on the road with us, um, which I don't know if you're familiar with that band. They're mm-hmm. amazing. It's somewhere between you know math metal and reggae mm-hmm. dub you know um but they gave me free uh, full um full creative freedom to do what i want and i was fully dubbing the entire show yeah like if i decided i was going to pull the drums out or drop the bass out for parts like it, he just let me do what i did and um i had two pc uh, for delay i went a little overboard i had two pcm 42s I, I had two real roland space echoes nice. tape oh, echoes yes uh-huh. i had uh, two, three or four different what's that
0: were the 201s or what did you well, have
3: Well, that's a two the 201 pedal i had one of those but i had a re-150s which are the straight delay no reverb i have um, an re-101 in my office it was my dad's oh they're great man hang on to that stuff yeah actually one of my one of my space echoes our monitor engineer jerry jerry streeter shout out uh has it up at his studio right now he's playing with it um what else? I had a hold couple on, of so real spring I'm going to ask
0: about the space echo, though. Did you play? Um, because with the space echo, uh, for those who don't know, it's a physical tape that's spinning yeah, in ta- there, and yeah. so you are speeding up and slowing down the tape, as opposed to mm-hmm. say an echoplex, where you are like just moving the heads. Would you? I had one of
3: those too. I had the uh, the full tone tape echo out there for a long time too. Would you actually
0: moving the heads? Yeah. Would you play with like speeding up the tape while it's open and, and hear that at all or um, anything like
3: that? Or, Oh, I was playing that entire show. I would literally, I would take the feedback knob and completely dime it out and get a feedback loop of like a vocal piece going. And then literally grab the, the, the time knob and speed it up and slow it down. Like, and I mean, and that was stuff we did in the show. I mean, that was the most effects I think I've ever used. I had a DBX subharmonic synthesizer on his vocal yes. for when he would beatbox. I was trying to clear forty hertz with his with his vocal, and uh, it, it the that- coolest one I had was a uh, I had a real Mutron biphase. Okay, you ever seen one of those? The it's a dual phaser. Man, stick that on a reggae hi hat and you just, mm. just <laughs> trip people out, man. It was it was so much fun. I had. Oh. I had spring echoes that I would kick in the middle of the show and just make, you know, crazy crash sounds. And and they were all about it. And each individual member of the dub trio also had their own dub station that I had inputs from. So like, and at that point, Modest was really like, he was going off, man. And he's like, let's just, I want to go into outer space. And we just went for it. That's awesome. And some of those, and some of the, sometimes it, it crashed and burned, <laughs> like everybody doing it at once. And it's just like, okay, we went too far. And then some nights
0: it was just magic, man. It was just, it was incredible. Would you guys? Would he do call a response with your delay, and you're playing off of each other? Uh, when oh he- yeah, all, all the time. You know, like y- you would, you knew certain words to hit, and
3: you would grab the word in the feedback loop. And play with it and stuff like that and then you know i had i had a custom foot controller built that um i had momentary switches to open up certain inputs to certain different effects so like i had like three different snare reverbs that i could step on one and do like that crazy you know giant Mm -hmm. thing and we just had a lot of fun with it and you know so much creative you know freedom with that thing and it helped me a lot in 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 a lot of the other gigs I did, you know, I was messing around one day I, because my rig literally went from a modest Yahoo tour. Um, we finished off somewhere in the Northeast and then it, it, it literally went to Madison square garden to do Brandy Carlisle at Madison square garden. So most of the stuff, cause I would customize my front of house rack for the show that I was doing was still in there. And one day I was messing around with tracks at, um, sound check one day and i was playing with kind of like the, the the dub echo and one of the members of brandy's band heard that and they're like you should do that and they heard it so it's it's kind of become
0: you know some of the songs it works really cool for different effects that's awesome and you, i mean at that point you're, i mean you're uh, an additional member of the band you oh know? yeah i mean yeah. That's, that's that's pretty cool because it's not i would say most often the sound engineer shouldn't be an additional member of the band
3: Uh, well uh, no most of the time you're supposed to be a a conduit you just yeah you're just you're just reinforcing what they're doing right you know yes you might add color and you know try to capture elements on the on uh, of what's been done on the record with effects and whatnot but that show was like you know it was full-on like harnessing you know lee scratch perry or scientist or you know any of the you know king tubby and you know kind of doing that whole kind of like traditional jamaican dub thing you know it's awesome and it was cool because that was somewhere like across like what we were doing was somewhere between like a kind of what modest is known for and really like jammy at the time like stuff would just go you know there'd be you know songs that would just go on it wasn't just like hey come out and play the hits and go it was like having a lot of fun with that it's awesome but you're asking like, you know, doing, you know, doing the delays and having people play off it. I mean, it helped like I was doing Hall and Oates and like, you know, Daryl would work the delay on like mm. Sarah Smiles and stuff like that. And he would listen for it, you know, and, you know, when bands hear that and you're hitting it on time, they love it. I mean, when you can really hone into what they're doing and they can hone into what you're doing, that's when it's really magical. It's Awesome.
2: It's great. So I've got to ask, you've been at this for a while, right? What mm-hmm. do you wish you knew when you first started?
3: I still say to everybody, like we were talking about, like you were saying how you recommend people and how, you know, they could be assets to the team. It's like when things go awry, the probably the biggest thing is, is that you don't freak out. And I can still kind of get manic But like early on, I would just, you know, like if we were if I was on a Broadway tour and like out of the four channels of intercom one got dropped, you were like, oh, my God, you know, and I was I was very, you know, I still like look at some of the earlier days of my career. Like when we say, hey, I remember you from when, like even Chris here, I'm like, "Uh, was I nice at that gig? (laughs) There were times I wasn't exactly the most friendly. I, I had a chair for a while that said. I think it's on the back It said, hi, my name is quack and I'm not friendly. You know, I think somebody put on the back of my chair at one point. Um, yeah, just to keep a calm head and just go, you know, if you keep a calm head about things, you're going to solve your issues a lot quicker than if you, you know, get frazzled and, you know, you, you know, the adrenaline starts going in your blood, you know, that's not going to solve your problem any quicker than if you go, okay, let me think about this. What? is the problem and how can I solve this? I mean, that's probably the biggest thing I wish I knew. And probably for you, probably networking now, (laughs) (laughs) that's the whole thing. Like my buddies, we still joke. We're like, when did I have to become a network engineer? Yeah. yeah.
2: I think we touched on that at one point.
3: Yeah. yeah. That's You you brought it up. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's probably the most major thing that I, I, I kind of, you know, regret. I mean, I was, you know, there were a few times I was not fun to be around just because it was like the, the, the stress just kind of, you know, because, you know, the when, profile when, didn't fire up right away or. Yeah. When did you, you, know, you realize lost an that,
0: Sorry, we got a delay here. Uh, when did you oh. realize that maybe your attitude wasn't the best? And did you make a mental shift on that at some point? Oh, well, the, the
3: guys I grew up with, you know, They'd call you right out if there was a problem, you know, and a good friend will pull you aside. Even people you tour with, you're just like, hey, man, calm down. OK, you know, you know, and as it, you know, we all know from touring, it's like, you know, no sleep. You're not exactly eating the best most of the time. And, you know, you're tired, you're exhausted. You know, you're just waiting for that day off, and you've just done like six in a row, and then somebody comes and asks you for something that you're like, "Why do why why do I need to deal with this right now?" And that's when you just you know just step back, and you're just like, "Hey, man, I'm not bagging fries. You know, I'm right. not swinging. You know, like my poor dad, I'm not swinging a hammer every day. You know, I'm making music, and honestly, it's more fun than anything else, and it's you know the greatest job in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. That's for sure.
3: Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm I'm not afraid. And even with, you know, I'm, I'll call out like my people, my, you know, say, like, hey, calm down. But- you know, We'll get through it, you know. You know, or just, you know, if, if you got an issue, don't be afraid to go ask somebody, you know, just be like, you know, I learned everything because I asked people, you know, I worked at SPAC. I had the greatest teachers in the world because we did the orchestra. We did the ballet. But every other day we had a big touring act come in. So. I met Scoville early on. I met Dave Natal and Dave Morgan. And these guys came through once, maybe twice a summer. Mm-hmm. And the really great ones would just sit down. It's like, hey bud, how you doing? You know, come and show you what they're doing and check this out. I mean, you know, Tommy and Bagby and all those guys, they were, you know, before I even did stuff like toured with you know, those guys were like friends and family by that point, you know. Even when I was out with Clapton, Rob Collins was a massive mentor to me and in the best way possible because he would just call you out. You know, I mean, I remember doing a Robert Randolph show. It was a horrible arena venue, you know, hockey arena somewhere in Europe. And my show was just it It didn't sound good, you know, because the band was too loud on stage. And, you know, that was we weren't. Uh, we weren't very. Uh, how do I say it? We, you know trained well in how to adapt to this we were a great club act but you know all of a sudden you're an arena so it's like oh let's balance the stage but instead it was everything through everything all at once and it just <laughs> made everything muddy and i just walked away and rob kind of said no you did great mate you did really good and then i listened to him mix clapton and i just stood there stunned because it literally you know sounded like an album and i said i just how how'd you get this and he just looks at me and goes i'm just better than you <laughs> are
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know and it keeps you humble you know stuff like that i mean i i mean i've i've told this story to to people you know it's like i've got a couple of board tapes of some mixers who've been on the show who i respect and look up to immensely and anytime like i listen back to my board tapes and i'm like man i'm good i'm really good i listen to some of the tapes of these guys mixing and i go i have no idea what why do i even do this You know, I've told that I've told that to Scoville. I was like, man, you know, anytime I start to think I got an ego, I'll listen to what you do. And I just go, man, I have no idea what I'm doing,
1: you know? All right. So I got to get your opinion on this. We're going to change gears a little bit, but it's important to us here at the Signal Noise podcast. Um, So for coming out to visit you, where are you taking us to eat? Favorite place, favorite place to eat. Well, you guys know where I live now, right? I do not. I live in Portland, Oregon. I live in
3: Portland, Oregon, right? Oh, outside Portland I was just I there. In the suburbs now. Were you? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Um. Well, let's say you guys are on tour and you got a day off. Uh, breakfast is a massive thing in Portland. I dig it. So we'll go Hi. line up, and uh, my favorite place is this place called the Stepping Stone, where they make a 13-inch. Well, they I don't know in politically correct times it used to be called the Man Cake. And if you ate three of them, you got your picture on the wall. But I don't know what they're called now. But um, it's a 13-inch pancake. And if you oh my eat gosh. three of them, they're like this thick. Yeah. But what? it's a great breakfast. <laughs> breakfast is kind of like religion here in Portland. Everybody lines up on the weekend. You you know, right down. Uh, lunch, since it's Portland, we'll probably have to go hit a food cart place. So everybody gets a little bit of a... Uh, damn what we're getting the whole want?
1: the fucking today's this is say, fucking this, sick i right i'm right. gonna <laughs> do this right the first right. guest to
0: go all three
1: court all yeah. three meals oh no no, so no, 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 drive no, us on, no hold us around in a hold fucking on. limo and oh, yeah, yeah he food this is amazing <laughs> and then for dinner we're gonna
3: hit the delta cafe because it's kind of new orleans soul food cajuny and it's over in the hollywood district and a, a manager guy, friend of mine, when I first moved here, took me out there. And it's kind of my favorite place there. But that being said, being with you guys and tacos and stuff like that, now it's late night. And we've been up talking, having a good time. We're going to hit Rigberto's, which is an old Taco Bell that a, uh, a, a family bought and turned into their own Mexican restaurant.
0: Damn, Michael, and you didn't make a in Portland.
3: It's just greasy enough. And it's open 24 hours a day. So we're gonna we're gonna go there and 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 oh, I do that. Go
1: back. You know, it's I'm starting to wonder if I've created a bit of a monster with this. Sam and I were talking about this earlier <laughs> today because we're doing I'm doing a couple shows with the with Miguel uh, <laughs> this month, mm-hmm. and yep. the the email went out. You know, for the all the whole production team, and it's like this is so and so, and they do this, and this is so and so, and they do this, and then for me, it's like. This is Michael, he's system engineer. Mr. Handsome himself, uh, he loves tacos. Make sure you bring him tacos. I'm like, really, this is this is what's going out to the, the, the whole team now. I was like, that I've created this horrible thing. So <laughs> apparently have you gotten one
3: have you got one of those papers on tour? Like just recently, like when you hire like a company, they are like, Well, what shirt size are you? What shoe size are you?
1: You're like, what is
3: you know, I get the frequent flyer mile numbers and like your hotel car yeah. and rental car, but all of a sudden they're like you know, what food do you like? What well, t- I'm you're often you're asked like, oh. for,
1: like, you know, shirt size and stuff, but then I'm not given a shirt afterwards. So it's like, why are you yeah. asking about yeah, that? I still you know? But, yeah. Well, uh, it looks like I need to go back to Portland here. So funny. Yeah. yeah no, I mean, food, food, food is a way of life. It's, it's weird because I live more down towards Oregon
3: City. I live in Gladstone now, and it's like a suburb. But, you know, we're in the chain restaurant, so we got your chilies and Olive Gardens out by us. But every once in a while, we venture down to we'll get old pdx to i want to throw this off. out
1: and this is going to be one of the most controversial things i said on this show in all 140 something episodes but as a system engineer who deals with consistency for a living olive garden is super respectable to me because it is one of the most fucking consistent <laughs> places to eat you can go anywhere you want and order that thing it's gonna come out looking the same man i we just let's just respect that that's all i'm saying i'm not saying it's the like the pinnacle of italian food because it's not but i'm saying consistency no. deserves to be appreciated it's all alone. I
2: also just I need to point out Chris's face, Michael, when you said that how <laughs> controversial that was. Chris just looked so panicked. And then the <laughs> amount of relief when you said olive Garden.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just strapping in not, for hate mail. Yeah.
0: Not as controversial as, as a lobster
1: live. Right, um, bring it on home,
0: man. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, so if uh, you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? Um Good mixer, you know. I'd like to do that. Nice guy, good hang, you know.
3: Hopefully, fun to be around, you know. Um, I I, I mean, I don't know. Honestly, guys, I got to tell you, I think I've been doing the best work of my career in the last three or four years, you know. And especially since we've come back from the pandemic, I think I think my, my shows. We started July fourth. I think my shows this past year. I mean. You're only as good as the band you mix, and the band I happen to mix right now is incredible. I mean, literally incredible. But I, I it's the it's the best work I've ever done. But uh, my legacy, I don't know. I'm a little bit of a hoarder. <laughs> I don't want that one. <laughs> Got a garage full of old Claire boxes. You know, sweet PA gear. You know, I don't know.
0: It's awesome. You know,
3: thanks, Sean. Just I, you know, it, it, it's funny. A couple of years ago, they uh phil garfinkel interviewed me for live sound international and referred to me as a veteran sound engineer and i almost freaked oh,
1: out that's our that's our go-to <laughs> i think it says that about chris and kyle on our website too that's it does was like yeah we love that veteran. phrase here yeah how
3: many years do you have to do this to be veteran? one and a
1: half really that's it <laughs> <laughs> um, that hurts <laughs> that hurts